you know, it all starts with implementation and focus. Because what you do in one area is it's pretty much what, how you're doing everything else. So start training your mind, start training yourself, creating habits to follow through on everything you do. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Jimmy Tu. Jimmy is a successful investor in the Bay Area that focuses on wholesaling, rehabbing, and developing properties. In this episode, Jimmy will share his story of how he got into real estate investing and how he managed to grow his business exponentially. He'll give us unique tips on how to acquire deals and how to become a master of your market. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and how you got into real estate investing. Hey guys, uh, first and foremost, thank you so much, Sean, for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. For those that don't know me, my name is Jimmy Tu. I grew up here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm a full-time real estate investor and I've been working in the market uh, here roughly since about 2008. As far as how I got into real estate, I've always had a love for real estate, to be honest. I actually used to cold call for a uh, mortgage broker back in the days. I think it was like my second or third job. And I think during that time, they were doing a lot of refis. And I somehow managed to got, you know, to, I was the top caller for a few months in a row. And uh, I would call to, you know, get people to refi. I would get people's social security numbers over the phone. <laughs> I have no idea how I did that. But um, yeah, that, it was kind of part of my blood already. But, you know, growing up in an Asian family, the only thing I knew about investing was, you know, save up a bunch of money, buy a property and just rent it out forever. And that was that. It wasn't until I guess one day my wife met me for lunch and she told me she had signed us up for this real estate class. I think it was Robert Allen at the time. You know, that same day I found out I was going to be let go from my job. And so pretty much from that day, I, I took whatever I could from my 401k, which wasn't very much at the time several thousand dollars, maybe less than 10,000 bucks, maybe like eight, nine, ten, And uh, we went to that class and it was really just one of these teaser courses where they just give you enough information before they try to sell you on the $50,000 coaching program. And so for me, I naturally gravitated towards uh, rehabbing because, you know, I've always been in the cars. I'm a big car guy. And so I always like taking something that's kind of, you know, that needs to be restored, you know, so that's kind of where I naturally gravitated towards first. But, you know, due to the lack of resources at the time, um, another thing they talked about was wholesaling. And so that really blew my mind because I've always been naturally, you know, a hustler, right? So I would go out and just, I, I like the thrill of the hunt. I like finding things. You know, I, that's where I started. So I, I, you know, I started making a, a ton of offers. I think it was for a good nine months, right? And at the time they taught us to just make, you know, offers to, you know, REOs and short sales you know, that wasn't working very well. And it wasn't until I actually met my first direct to seller uh, where it kind of changed the game for me. Kind of a long-winded answer, but that's kind of how I got into real estate. It's pretty awesome. So did the class actually teach you anything useful, would you say, or did you kind of learn everything on your own? What, what it gave me was at least a foundation, right? So they talked about everything in that class, right? Which was, okay, you could do wholesaling, there's rehabbing, there's tax liens, there's a commercial, and so at the time I was just overwhelmed, but I, you know, I laser focused on 
wholesaling, given my situation, and then rehabbing, which was where I eventually wanted to go. So in a way, it gave me just enough information to know that what was out there. At the time, I didn't have $50,000 to, uh, to sign up for this course or this mentorship. And so I went out to bigger pockets. Uh, I found whatever books I can at the time. And I just implemented, to be honest. You just did it. And you said you had your, you took your 401k. Did you cash out your 401k to do this all in? Yeah, I cashed out my 401k. Uh, it was like basically a 101k at the time, right? This is back in 08, 09. Yeah, so, 401k. Yeah, 401k, exactly. And so yeah. um, it was scary, man. Like, a, you know, we were talking a little bit before this, um, Sean. I, you know, I, it was that wasn't very much money, right? But I'm one of these guys that I take action first, right? I'll jump off the plane and I'll figure out a way to grow wings on the way down. That's what I kind of did here, right? You know, like uh, George Washington told his uh, lieutenants to burn their sails. And that's exactly what I did. I contribute my growth basically to taking action, to be honest. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, as you know, I recently quit my job too. And I have a little bit more than you did, but I'm so scared myself. I'm like, damn, like, that's it. There's nothing else coming in. I got to go all in now. So what did you do during those nine months before you actually got your first deal? So during those nine months, I would, you know, I would make these offers, right? So thank God I, I found a couple agents that were relatively newer at the time. So they were just getting started as well. And, you know, they, they were willing to write up these offers for me. But during those nine months, I think what, you know, I look back now and I'm glad I, it took me those nine months because during that time, what I was doing was I was looking at data. I was learning my market. I was learning, you know, what days on markets were in certain areas. Uh, why maybe one specific property might sell for $200,000 more, even though it's less than, you know, a half mile radius because of the school system. Basically, I, I, re I pretty much became a master of, of my market. And, and that those within those nine months, by me making tons of offers every day, allowed me to be able to really understand uh, my market. And so I contribute a lot of my success today from really going back and really understanding the market and values and, and all these areas that we work. So what market were you specifically working on when you first started? So at the time I was in San Francisco. So obviously naturally San Francisco, Alameda, you know, areas like Oakland, Hayward, Castro Valley, Fremont, Berkeley, just that general East Bay area uh, along with San Francisco. I also grew up in San Jose. So I, I somewhat understood the market there as well, but it was a natural progression. So I would, you know, I'd run comps and, and work certain zip codes. And then once I, once I really understood those zip codes, I would add additional zip codes and really look at the data, um, look at the days on market and really understand and slowly kind of build uh, a database of, of all these areas and really familiarize myself with them. So I'm currently doing that. I'm trying to do more market research on my individual cities. But to be honest, I'm not actually sure what I'm looking at. You know, you can see all these numbers. You can see, yeah, I guess three bedroom, two baths go for this price point in this area. Mm -hmm. But I mean, what else were you looking at during that time? Um, so at the time, you know, I was, was looking at crime rates. I was looking at school systems, right? And um, uh, one of the big things that, I, that really helped me was days on market. How many, you know, what areas are more desirable than others, right? There's so many more tools now that are available to people uh, that weren't available at the time, right? And so I would look at, you know, at the time, the, the only tool that I really had was, you know, MLS, right? I was fortunate enough to get access and, and I was working with the, the realtor at the time. And so I pretty much just pulled whatever data I could on the tra cash transactions and focused on those zip codes and really studied those zip codes to understand, okay, why are they buying in this area? 
right? And so why are certain areas uh, have a lower days on market than others? And so that's kind of where I started. And so um, then I started familiarizing myself with which school systems were more desirable than others, um, which areas were, you know, in progression, uh, that were in transition, and that, were, you know, more people were starting to buy in. And so really understanding that data kind of helped me um, kind of laser focus in, in which zip codes and areas uh, I should be targeting. Right. Because if it's a low days on market, that means that properties are selling very quickly. Mm-hmm. People love that place. And if you have a flip property, yep. you can sell it without having to have it on the market for like 90 days. Exactly. And also when, when you have, when you're in an area where that has a lower days on market. Um, so back then they, you know, it's, they, they had the old school Mayo formula, right? The maximum allowable offer formula, which, you know, the old school one was, um, you know, 70% minus repairs, et cetera. So you could get away with that in some areas here in the Bay Area, but you know in some areas you're you're going to price yourself out of the deal. So by understanding the market, understanding the data, it's going to allow you and give you the confidence to be able to maybe up bump that number up to be competitive in an offer situation and still allow you to be profitable at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of like you don't need to have 70% off if you kind of know where the trends are for this property, right? Exactly. So if you don't want me asking, like, what is your buying criteria? How do you kind of evaluate a property? Um, so for me, I mean, it depends on the area and kind of what my exit strategy is, right? So um, so these days I'm looking for, you know, underutilized lots, right? And opportunities to where the first thing I'll look at is, okay, what's what type of zoning is this property on, right? How big is the lot? You know, versus... Me, maybe I'd say eight years ago, I would look at it and say, okay, what's the ARV? It was very cookie cutter. It was, okay, what's the ARV? Where do I need to be at? I'm going to make the offer. And if it doesn't work, I'll move on to the next. So now what I'm doing is I'm trying to maximize every lead that comes in to see, okay, what's this property going to be worth? Let's say if I add another maybe five to 600 square feet or what's the zoning potential, right? Can I actually maybe split the lot? Could I maybe get it entitled to maybe build, you know, a commercial mixed use building? And so for me, whenever we deploy marketing now, whenever we get a lead that comes in, we look at it from every single angle to determine, okay, what is, is, is there several ways to maybe skin this cap, right? Versus looking at it very cookie cutter and saying, okay, does this fit the 70% and below buying criteria? And if it doesn't, then we move on to the next one. I've left a lot of money on the table that way. I'm, I'm sure. Um, now we're, you know, we're, we're making sure that we dissect the data and the deal before we make a decision. And when you say we, who is we? Uh, so me, it was me and uh, I had a partner at the time. And so, you know, for me right now, I'm actually, I don't know if you saw my story, but I'm basically building a team. It's me and there's one person that I work with right now that, that looks at the deal together for me that I'm training to be an acquisitions person. You know, I'm training him to really look at the data and kind of what I'm looking at. Um, to determine kind of where we need to be offer-wise in order to make it work. Gotcha. See, my own personal problem is that exactly what you said. You look at the ARV, you backtrack, and you say, all right, what can I actually buy it for? Sometimes, especially in the Bay Area, the comps aren't quite there. Like, they just aren't comps, right? And, I mean, what do you do in those situations? Um, So in places where it's a little bit harder to comp, right, I, you know, first thing I do is I try to look at what price per square foot would be in that area. Once I do that, then I'll start looking at, you know, data that's, you know, maybe a little bit further. So I like to be within the past three to six months, but there are some areas that may be a little bit more um, challenging to comp because they, they don't have as many recent sales. 
So basically I start off with a price per square foot and then I basically, I might look at, you know, although, you know, it might be a little dated, might, I might go back a year just to kind of give me a feel for, for maybe, you know, for what a property that, you know, that sold that might be similar in square footage, bedrooms and baths uh, might have sold for a year back and then I'll compensate for it. You know, maybe I'll, I'll subtract a certain percentage or, you know, if it was a two bedroom, three bath, et cetera. So I make my adjustments accordingly, but that's kind of where I would start if I'm unable to find comps for a property. One of the craziest things too is that when the property is smaller, price per square foot naturally is higher than when a property is bigger, right? Especially here in the Bay Area, it's it's a it's a different beast. I mean, sometimes you have to actually create value, right? So, let's say in certain areas, what you could do is, um, you know, say if you have a property that's maybe under a thousand square feet, right, eight, seven hundred, nine hundred square feet, and it might be in a really desirable area in the South Bay, right? So I'll look at it and I'll say, okay, well. Maybe if we, you know, get it plans approved to be able to add another 15 to a thousand square feet. Now it just went from, you know, a, a $2 million property to, to a $3 million property. I try to look at it from an angle where, okay, what can I do to maybe add value or create value out of the deal versus saying, okay, it's 800 square feet. I'm going to comp it as an 800 square foot property. Yeah. That's how you make the money in the business by doing some value add stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was doing research this morning. I saw this property on the MLS. It's been on the market for over 180 plus days. It's not moving. And they dropped the price by $300,000. You know, it was like $1.6 million home in Sunnyvale, 12,000 square foot lot, huge, huge lot. And I was thinking, wow, there's a comp nearby that I sold for 2.7 similar size. And I was like, but see, I don't even know what's going on there. That's interesting. So I'm, I'm, I'm too scared to like, I'll send, you, I'll send it to you later and you can check it out. But for me, I'm like, what, what's going on here? And I, I'm scared now, right? Because no one's touching it. There must be something wrong with it, right? Don't run away from it. Just because, you know, um, and, I, and that's happened to me before too. I, somebody sent me, you know, they might send me a deal and I'll say, okay, I don't understand what's going on with this. There must be something wrong with it. And so I would try to pick, nitpick and, and, and figure out what the hell was wrong with it. And I just would pass it just because, you know, my thought was, okay, if somebody else passed on it, you know, there must be something wrong. And then I check on the MLS maybe like two or three months later and it was sold for more than what I was willing to pay for it. And so I kicked myself in the butt and I look back and I'm like, man, I should have went for it. And so I, I don't, I don't let that deter me nowadays. I, I try to figure out, you know, I'll try to get as much information as possible. Like say if the lead's coming from an agent, I'll ask them and I'll say, okay, are there any reports on the property? I'll try to get some information as far as why, you know, pe- pe- people are passing up on it before I pass judgment as well. It might just be a lead that, you know, or it might just be a deal that somebody forgot about, you know, uh, you know, when something's listed and it sits there for a while, there's not as many eyes on it anymore. And maybe everyone's thinking the same as me that, oh, it's sitting there for so many days. There must be something wrong with it. Yeah, totally. I was there at one point. Yeah. I mean, I'll send it to you afterwards. You can take a look. Sure thing. So how are you currently financing your properties? So right now uh, I have partnerships. I also have good friends that are uh, very successful in business and don't have necessarily the time to go out and do what I do. I have partnerships you know, that I've worked with through the years through relationships to finance properties as well. So are you acquiring them through hard money still, or is it all cash offers with your business partners? It varies. Depends on what our exit strategy is, right? So, you know, if we're just doing, you know, a quick flip, you know, I have resources for that. I don't know if I told you this, I got really burnt out doing projects back in 2012, 2013. Once the market really started turning, I had to make a decision as far as, okay, 
you know, am I going to continue to burn myself out and, and try to maximize all these projects and be cash broke at the, during the process, right? Because, you know, doing projects, you know, you're, you're using a lot of your own resources on the rehab as well. Um, or do I go back to my roots and kind of just focus on what I do best, which is, you know, finding opportunities. And so during that time, I really switched my business model uh, because I, I built a lot of ton of good relationships just through the real groups that I was running. You know, and, and the common denominator was people were coming back to me asking how, you know, if, if I could find them opportunities. And so that's where I went back and naturally started doing a lot more wholesaling and um, cherry picking opportunities on the way. So that's kind of where I am now, but I'm, I'm using the same model that I am finding single family opportunities, now focusing my efforts into finding more uh, underutilized lots and development opportunities to, um, you know, to sell to builders for now and eventually, you know, start doing uh, the entitlement process from start from point A to point B. Nice. So you started rehabbing in 2008 and then by 2012, 2013, you were getting tired of. No, I started wholesaling, right, for two in 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. uh, did that for a couple of years until I really, uh, you know, and then I started developing really good relationships with some of these rehabbers that I was selling deals to. And, you know, through relationships, I started building, you know, um, getting my connections through with hard money, you know, I was able to use some other contractors. And so then I started doing my own projects. And so I was doing that for a couple of years, got really tired and burnt out, you know, cause we were pretty much a two, you know, two or three man operation at the time. And, um, you know, I, I went back to just focusing on finding opportunities and just cherry, cherry picking my deals along the way. So for me, I always look at a deal and say, okay, what's the best way to maximize on this deal, right? Am I going to make a quick 70 now versus a slow 120 later? Or does this deal, you know, allow me to create opportunity and it's a multiple six figure opportunity, but it's going to take more time Then I might be leaning towards the going that route. So for me, I, I don't necessarily focus on one specific strategy. I try to look at the deal itself and see what's the best way to maximize um, profit, but still be able to you know, prop, uh, to, to be able to get out of the deal sooner than having to sit on it for several years. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you said you yeah. built a huge network of real estate investors. Were you a group leader at some point? You created your own RIA group? Yeah, yeah. So we ran a RIA group in the Bay Area for about five years. You know, it wasn't until I had my son, right, um, two years ago that, you know, it was, it was really tough to really, you know, to be consistent and do every month. Uh, but that's something that we're we're thinking about picking back up now as he's getting older. But those relationships that I've built, you know, from that group, it's invaluable. I mean, I've met, you know, um, money partners, uh, business partners. I've JV'd with deals with people under in those groups. I've I've built some really good relationships. And um, you know, if I could go back, I mean, I would say that that's one of the things that, you know, that really contributed to my success and where I am now is 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 the relationships that I've built. So I started my meetup group just this past year as well. It's hard, right? It's hard hosting groups. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, because, you know, you, you have to kind of commit yourself to it. You have to promote it and get people out there. But at the end of the day, it's worth it, John. Um, you know, I'm going to make myself out there one of these days to check out your group, but it, it's worth it, man. It's, it really is at the end of the day, because this is a relationship business, right? And to me, my relationships are everything. And so for me, I, I like to add value, uh, you know, to people, you know, in, in all walks and stages of their career, you know. So these could be people that are just starting out, you know, that haven't gotten their first deal because I was there at that one, at one point, 
you know, back in 08, 09, one of the things I was trying to do was go out to these meetups and meet, you know, the, the, the real players out here in the market. You know, and some people, you know, they'll see me as competition. You know, they'll kind of brush me off, uh, weren't willing to share information. So one of the things that I kind of promised myself was that, you know, when I reached at least some level of success that I would give back and help other people. And so through the years and, you know, through the platform of having a RIA group, I was able to do that, right? So I would have people, you know, newer people that were starting out uh, to, you know, to seasoned vets that were out there as well that, that needed help with something. So Nice. That's pretty awesome. What are you doing right now to generate your source of leads? Like you have so many coming from different sources that you're able to sell off most of them and then try to pick the best ones for yourself. So in terms of lead gen? Yep. Okay. So right now if I have about five local cold callers, so I have a small call center. Uh, I've also built a network of, um, you know, like a property scout team, a bird dog team that consists of uh, Uber drivers, UPS, Lyft drivers, postal workers, ADT, uh, installation people, water and mold remediation people. I'm always trying to keep my cost per lead down, right? So that's one of the things that's really helped me too, is just whenever I meet somebody, I hand them my business card and, um, you know, I get consistent deal flow through uh, just my network of people. On top of that, we tapered a little bit down on the direct mail, right? But we're a lot more strategic about it now. And so we're also doing some digital stuff as well. So PPC. Yeah. So we're trying to, we're trying to create multiple lead funnels. So you never really want to want to rely on just one, uh, back in 2010, 11, all the way up to maybe 2013, I'm sorry, maybe 2015 direct mail was our, our breadwinner. And just due to the oversaturation, you know, it's, it's caused our response rates to plummet. So we have to create ways to find opportunities. That's hilarious. So you go into an Uber, you say, Hey man, by the way, my name is Jimmy. I'm a real estate investor. Here's my business card. And what do you say to them? Man, I, uh, to, to me, honestly, I, I, I just like to, to talk to people, right? So uh, whenever I get a ride somewhere, you know, we'll just naturally, I'll just have a conversation with these people, learn their story, um, you know, figure out how long they've been driving. And, you know, naturally they ask me kind of what I do as well. And so, you know, I typically just tell them, hey, yeah, I, I invest in real estate. I buy properties locally in the area. Um, I actually work with other drivers as well. You know, you know, typically we're, we're looking for properties that you normally would pass up, right? So you would pass on these properties that have high weeds. It might be boarded up. It might be a ton of mail. It might look terrible from the outside. Basically, we're looking for the eyesores uh, of the neighborhoods. You know, while you're out in the street anyway, once you're, here's my card. Once you, once you, you know, keep me posted if you see anything. Uh, maybe snap a picture or send me send me the address and we'll do the rest. And if we're able to put something together, we'll we'll take care of you. And so people are, especially when they're already out there anyway, doing their job. Um, you know, people are always trying to create additional streams of income, right? Cost of living here in the Bay Area is is crazy, right? So um, naturally, people always want to find a way to make money. So it's it's a it's a symbiotic relationship where it's it's truly a win win for everybody. Yeah, that's hilarious. So if you manage to close a deal from a lead from, let's say, an Uber driver or UPS worker, you just give them like a thousand bucks or how does that work? Yep. Typically about one thousand to two thousand, depending on the deal size. But, you know, our base is about a thousand bucks. And it reminds me of Juan Diaz. He said he went to like somewhere in Oakland. He met some homeless dude. He's like, here, here's 50 of my business cards. Find me a, you know, a property that's off market. I'll give you some money. And it, and it happens. Totally. Yeah. You got to think, you got to think outside the box these days. And, um, and it's really cool when you're able to, you know, truly be able to help somebody else and, and everybody 
everybody's benefiting from it. I, I for me personally, I, I I take pride in creating um you know win win opportunities for everybody, and uh, I see the value in long term relationships versus you know uh, short term situations. Right, because we're going to be here for a long time, right? Absolutely, I'm in it for the long haul, baby. That's right. So, do you have like a favorite deal that you've done? Probably my lot deal, and the reason okay. for that is. Um, so I bought these two lots over there in Hayward. Initially, when the when the lead first came in, it was uh, a guy that says, "Oh, I have two houses right next to each other. I'm looking to sell it. I'm looking to retire, and I'm looking to move out of the country." And so when I first comped the deal and I looked at the numbers, I said, "He wanted a million dollars each for each property." But when I looked at it, I said, "Man, this is you know this property is only worth like maybe six seven hundred tops." Until I actually looked at the lot, I said, "Wait a minute! This is—they're—they're—they're they're, they're an acre on each side." What I did was I—we—we we spoke to an architect and said, essentially, I—we got a phase one done, a feasibility study to see, okay, what were the possibilities of this lot, right? And so when they came back, they said, "Well, you know, at first it was somewhere around 14 properties. Four, we could split it up into about 14 separate lots, and uh, we got a second opinion." And it turned out it, it, there was we could do about 17. Immediately locked it up right before I did that, but the, you know, and I'm glad I did. I was able to give him his full asking price on both lots. And so what I did was I contacted a few of the local builders in the area. One of them, which uh, went out there and looked at it and said, "Hey, yeah, this is you know this is something I'd love to do. Maybe we could JV and do something together." But, you know, he said that it's, it would take somewhere around two years, maybe two and a half years to get it done. And so for me, you know, my mindset was a little different at the time, right? And so, you know, we're, we're trying to be in and out of deals, maximize profits. And so we had a second guy, you know, through my partner at the time that offered us 2.6 for the property. We ended up taking that. But um, now that I look back, you know, I think we could have got somewhere around four million for the property had we fully entitled, right, from point A to point B to point C, right? So I like that deal because I was able to A, I was able to get the guy exactly what he wanted. Two, it helped me open my eyes and change the game for me to say, okay, well, versus me just looking at it from, you know, a very cookie cutter way of just, okay, ARV in this area is X, I need to be at X. I would have passed up on this deal had I not looked at the size of the lot or the potential of the lot, right? You know, and lastly, it really kind of pushed us to start going out there to develop more relationships with some of these builders in the area. You know, we've been able to gain a wealth of knowledge uh, by, you know, through those relationships as well. You know, brought a new level of excitement for me because now it's it's almost like I'm learning this business all over again, right? So, you know, I'm learning what, you know, what the parameters are. Uh, all the different zoning types for every county um, to really understand that. And I'm going to apply what I know from finding single family opportunities into this development space. Because to be quite frank, I mean, not too many builders or developers have the time nor the resources to really go out and do what we do. So we're really adding a service for them and we're creating value for everybody involved as well. That's something I'm really excited about. Yeah, so you're moving more towards that direction, right? Trying to find commercial lots to entitled buildings. Yep. Do you have a specific market you're focusing on right now? Uh, primarily the East Bay right now. So this is Oakland, San Leandro, uh, Hayward, um, some of the areas that I'm familiar 
with at least and I'm um, starting to learn a little bit more about the South Bay as well. There's a lot of activity going on over there. San Jose, right? San Jose has a lot of activity. Yes, totally. So, you know, so I'm slowly kind of working my way out there. And, uh, you know, so, you know, to go back from my story, this is kind of like how I was when I first started learning all this stuff, right? So it's, it's, you're, you're never going to stop learning. And that's the thing I love about this business is always growing, always learning, never being complacent and uh, step, stepping outside your comfort zone and going out there to, mm. to create opportunity for yourself. Yeah. Have you ever had any like horror stories or things when projects didn't go as, <laughs> as planned? <laughs> yeah, my first rehab. Um, so I bought this property in um, a pretty bad area of San Francisco, part of town. It was in Hunter's Point. I think we bought a property. It was on Palouse Street back in 09. And we, you know, we thought we bought a, we got a smoking deal on it. We bought it as a short sale for her. I forgot what the price was. It was like 165, 167. I forgot what it was. So it was somewhere within that range. So we bought the property and, you know, we, we got a couple estimates, right? And so uh, we got a couple of bid from contractors. They were ranging from 40, 60,000. And there was one that we got that was about 30,000. So naturally as a newbie, you're like, okay, well, let's, let's go with the 30,000 one, right? We'll make a bunch of more money. And so, and on top of that, the hard money lender that we were using, he says, Hey, this is, you know, I got the recommendation actually through him. Because he says, hey, this is the guy that actually goes out to inspect all my properties before we do the draws. Uh, I trust him. Why don't you go have him bid your job and, and see how it goes? When I talked to my partner about it, I said, okay, well, you know, he's, you know, it, he must be good. He works for the hard money lender guy, right? So we ended up using him. So we start the project. Project uh, property gets broken into. They steal our copper. You know, and we started getting a bunch of these change orders. So the thirty thousand dollar bid. Uh, by month two, turned into a $50,000 uh, repair bid. And so by that point, I, I called the lender and I said, hey, um, I think we're, we're going to have to bring in our own people. I don't know if this is working out. You know, he says, well, oh, Jimmy, don't worry. You know, he's probably saw something that you didn't. Keep him on the job. You know, I trust him. And so we're naturally, we're trying to build a relationship with this guy. So we said, okay, maybe we're just missing something. So anyways... Fast forward nine months later, and keep in mind we started at thirty thousand dollars. At this point, we're our budget's at ninety thousand uh, dollars. So we blew past our budget, blew past our time frame. Property got broken into three times at this point. Stole the copper every time. They also stole the tools that were outside of the property at the time. On top of that, we staged the property, right? And um, you know, at this point, we got a buyer. We're in escrow. I get a call from the stager. Stager says, hey, Jimmy, I'm going to go pick up my stuff. And I get a call about an hour later. Hey, Jimmy, where's my stuff? <gasps> These guys literally, uh, they must have had a moving van. They got like the fake apples, the fake beds, uh, the washer, dryer, all the stainless steel appliances. And they just left it bare bone. And I'm freaking out, man. I'm just like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? All right. And so, you know, we had to contact the buyer. And kind of explain what happened and so he says you know what I'll, I'll, I still want to move forward let's go ahead and close but I, I want you guys to replace the uh, you know the the washer and dryer and all the all the appliances which we did basically we made every mistake in the book on that first deal we lost about twenty five thousand dollars we pretty much went over our budget went over our time frame bought in the worst part of town 
over rehab the, the the project and and it was it was just a nightmare it's one of those things where it's like a school of hard knocks right i pretty much versus versus me learning that through several projects i pretty much learned everything on that one project and um knock on wood i've never lost money on a project since then that's great so what did you actually learn like hard facts managing your budget like a hawk managing being on top of your guys right uh you know slow to hire quick to fire Right. You know, now, you know, you don't go with the cheapest bit. Right. You go with the guy that, you know, that, you know, you could trust um, that does good work, understands your business at the same time. You have to have hard timelines and time frames for these guys to follow. So we didn't have that. So we were just, you know, just uh, we were just winging it, man. And so there was no budget. And I we over rehab the place. Right. So that was one of the things I fell in love with the property. I was like, oh, man, if I lived here, I would want you know, these nice appliances and finishes. I want travertine. I want this. I want that. But we just blew past our budget because I got emotionally attached to the property. Got it. So don't be emotionally attached to the property. No. And uh, manage your budgets and manage your, your people. Great. Great. So if you can go back in time and tell yourself the things that you don't know, right? If you go back in time and tell yourself 20 years ago, what kind of tips would you give yourself? Focus on one thing and get really good at it. You know, avoid shiny object syndrome at all costs, right? So for me, one of the things that was a distraction for me was, you know, during that time, you know, there were short sales and then there were tax liens and there was all these, all these infomercials started coming out, all these different programs and they would deter me in different directions and I, and I was losing focus, right? So I would try to learn all these things and never really master the one thing that really was my bread and butter at the time, right? And so, and especially nowadays with social media, with, you know, with YouTube and Facebook, and there's, it's so easy to get distracted with different types of courses. And there's crypto, there's this and that. You, you could be so easily distracted nowadays with all the information that's out there. You know, if I, could, if I were to go back to, you know, and talk to myself 10 years ago, I would say, uh, focus on one thing, become a master at it, don't be distracted, you know, and focus and get really good at that one thing before you look at other things. So that's one. Mm -hmm. um, second is I was probably, uh, I probably should have scaled my business a lot sooner than I did. And that was because, you know, at the time, you know, I was naturally, I would go out and go on these appointments. It was me and my partner. And, um, you know, I felt that, you know, if I trained somebody and they messed up on a negotiation, that could potentially be a six figure deal. Right. And so, you know, naturally, I, I tried to keep that to myself. I felt I was the best at it. Now, it wasn't until I actually had my son, um, you know, where, you know, when I told my partner that I was going to take two months off uh, to be with my wife, I would find myself constantly checking my phone, turning emails. And, you know, I just got to a point where I'm like, man, I mean, what am I doing, right? I can't buy this time with my son back, you know, but you can always make money, but you can't buy time. So that was really an eye-opener for me. And I said, okay, you know what? Maybe it's time for me now to actually build a team, to duplicate myself, and to bring in people that are better than me, you know, the, the what I think I am, right? So, and, and just really build a team of quality people to really grow and work on the business versus working in it, you know, all these years. I saw you sign something yesterday. Yeah. What was that about? Yeah, so I just got an office. Uh, shout out to my boys, uh, you know, Carl, Sal, Alex, those guys, they really pushed me to, um, get out of my comfort zone 
and um, you know because it's so easily to get distracted at home right you know I might be working on something my son might walk by and you know you know I'll just go hang out with him for like an hour before you know it and you're like dude I just where would all the time go the office is really you know designed for me to actually be more focused to start building a culture right and so when we bring on people you know we want to create a culture we want to create relationships and so that's having a, a place to go do that a foundation um, is key and so I'm stepping a little bit out of my comfort zone but I think ultimately at the end of the day it's gonna help me grow into the business owner that you know that I want to be down the road yeah you need to have a good working environment because it's so easy if you're at home to get you know there's a bed right there there's easy like food and stuff and right you know I mean oh Game of Thrones is on TV's on yeah. you know it's so easy to get distracted you know and so you know, I, I just through the years, I mean, you, you know, we made good money, right? You know, we we're profitable and, you know, I, I really enjoyed the freedom, right? And, and, you know, it's just, you know, I think, you know, in order to get to the next level, right, you got to step out your comfort zone sometimes, right? And, exactly. and, and it's all people, data and speed, right? And, um, you know, and that's what I'm trying to implement into my business today. So what would you tell someone who's just getting in the business today? Mm -hmm. They want to be like you in a few years. What kind of advice would you tell them? I would say, right, consistency is key. That's one. You know, don't don't be stuck on analysis paralysis, right? Because I see a lot of people, they go to these events, right? And they're like, oh, man, I want to set up my LLC. I got to get my business cards. <clears throat> Everything has to be perfect before I go out and find a deal, right? I, I think that's working backwards. I'm naturally like this, right? I, I, I'm an implementer. So once I learn something, I'll go out and I'll apply it. But what I see is there's a lot of people that will come up to me and ask me for help and they'll say, okay, well, where do I go? And I'll tell them what to do. And, you know, let's start off, go read this book, right? And, you know, I'll talk to them two, two weeks later and they'll be, you know, oh, you know, I had work come up. I had this come up. You know, yeah, it all starts with implementation and focus, right? And so focus, because what you do in one area is pretty much how you're, it's, it's pretty much what, how you're doing everything else. So start training your mind, start training yourself, creating habits to, to, to follow through on everything you do. Um, that I would, I would go back and start there. So, you know, start implementing, don't get caught up in just trying to learn everything and getting everything perfect. Just go out there and do it. Nice. Do you have any final words for our guests before we finish our show today? No, no, no. I mean, I appreciate you guys tuning in, you know, I appreciate you guys uh, hearing my journey, um, you know, uh, and stay tuned. There's a lot more to come. Looking forward to it. So, Jimmy, how can people get in contact with you? Uh, probably through Instagram. I can be reached at uh, the Jimmy Two SF. It's the and my name Jimmy Two SF uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your wise words of wisdom. And looking forward to seeing you at our meetups sometime in the very near future. Hey, I look forward to it. Thanks for having me, Sean. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck with that deal. Thank you. All right, Jimmy. See you later. Later. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Take action. Become a master of your market. Understand why people are buying homes in your areas and how long it takes to sell a property in your market. Build great relationships with people from the meetup groups and try to recruit people into your team. Talk to everyone. Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, and UPS drivers make great bird dogs. Don't get distracted by the shiny object syndrome. Become a master at one thing before moving to another thing. Scare your business sooner. And remember, you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. Be consistent and don't get stuck on analysis paralysis. 
I hope you all learned a lot. You can find the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.